Chapter Ten of the Sign of Silence by William LeCue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Ten. Cherchez la femme. I confess that her attitude took me aback. I was certainly unprepared for such a reception. I believed, madam, that you were in search of me. I said with polite apology. I certainly was not. I don't know you in the least, was her reply. I went to the tube to meet a friend who did not keep his appointment. Is it possible that you have been sent by him? In any case, it was very injudicious for you to approach me in that crowd. One never knows who might have been watching. I come as messenger from my friend Sir Digby Kemsley, I said in a low voice. From him? she gasped eagerly. I, uh, I expected him. Is he prevented from coming? It was so very important, so highly essential, that we should meet, she added in frantic anxiety, as we stood there in the darkness beneath the bare trees, through the branches of which the wind whistled weirdly. I have this letter, I said, drawing it from my pocket. It is addressed for E.P.K. For me, she cried with eagerness, as she took it in her gloved hand, and then leaving my side she hurried to a street lamp, where she tore it open and read the contents. From where I stood, I heard her utter an ejaculation of sudden terror. I saw how she crushed the paper in one hand, while with the other she pressed her brow. Whatever the letter contained, it was news which caused her the greatest apprehension and fear, for dashing back to me she asked, "'When did he give you this? How long ago?' "'On the night of January the sixth, was my reply, the night when he left Harrington Gardens in mysterious circumstances. "'Mysterious circumstances,' she echoed what do you mean? Is he no longer there? No, madam, he has left, and though I am perhaps his most intimate friend, I am unaware of his whereabouts. There were, I added, reasons, I fear, for his disappearance. Who are you? Tell me first. My name is Edward Royal, was my brief response. Ah, Mr. Royal, the woman cried, he has spoken of you many times. You were his best friend, he said. I am glad indeed to meet you, but but tell me why he has disappeared. What has occurred? I thought you would probably know that my friend is wanted by the police, I replied gravely. His description has been circulated everywhere. But why? she gasped, staring at me. Why are the police in search of him? For a few seconds I hesitated, disinclined to repeat the grave charge against him. Well, I said at last in a low earnest voice, the fact is the police have discovered that Sir Digby Kemsley died in South America some months ago. I don't follow you, she said. Then I will be more plain. The police, having had a report of the death of Sir Digby, believe our mutual friend to be an impostor. An impostor! How utterly ridiculous! Why, I myself can prove his identity. The dead man must have been some adventurer who used his name. "'That is a point which I hope with your assistance to prove,' I said. "'The police at present regard our friend with distinct suspicion. "'And I suppose his worst enemy has made some serious allegation against him? "'That woman who hates him so? "'Ah, I see it all now. "'I see why he has written this to me. "'This confession, which astounds me. "'Ah, Mr. Royal,' she added, her gloved hands tightly clenched in her despair. You do not know in what deadly peril Sir Digby now is. Yes, I see it plainly. There is a charge against him, a grave and terrible charge, which he is unable to refute, and yet he is perfectly innocent. Oh, what can I do? 
How can I act to save him?' and her voice became broken by emotion. First, tell me the name of this woman who was such a deadly enemy of his. If you reveal this to me, I may be able to throw some light upon circumstances which are at the present moment a complete mystery. No, that is his secret, was her low, calm reply. He made me swear never to reveal the woman's name. But his honor, nay, his liberty, is now at stake, I urged. That does not exonerate me from breaking my word of honor, Mr. Royal. Then he probably entertains affection for the woman, and is hence loath to do anything which might cause her pain. Strangely enough, men often love women whom they know are their bitterest enemies. Quite so, but the present case is full of strange and romantic facts, facts which if written down would never be believed. I know many of them myself, and can vouch for them. "'Well, is this unnamed woman a very vengeful person?' I asked, remembering the victim who had been found dead at Harrington Gardens. "'Probably so. All women, when they hate a man, are vengeful.' "'Why did she hate him so?' "'Because she believed a story told of him, an entirely false story, of how he had treated the man she loved. I taxed him with it, and he denied it, and brought me conclusive proof that the allegation was a pure invention.' "'Is she young or middle-aged?' young and distinctly pretty was her reply was it possible that this woman was speaking of that girl whom i had seen lying dead in my friend's flat had he killed her because he feared what she might reveal how clearly i wished that i had with me at that moment a copy of the police photographs of the unidentified body but even then she would probably declare it not to be the same person so deeply had sir digby impressed upon her the necessity of regarding the affair as strictly secret. Indeed, as I walked slowly at her side, I saw that whatever the note contained, it certainly had the effect upon her of preserving her silence. In that case, could the crime have been premeditated by my friend? Had he written her that secret message well knowing that he intended to kill the mysterious woman who was his deadliest enemy? That theory flashed across my brain as I walked with her and I believed it to be the correct one. I accepted it the more readily because it removed from my mind those dark suspicions concerning Frida, and also in face of facts which this unknown lady had dropped it seemed to be entirely feasible. Either the unsuspecting woman fell by the hand of Digby Kemsley, or, how can I pen the words, by the hand of Frida, the woman I loved. There was the evidence that a knife with a triangular blade had been used, and such a knife had been and was still in the possession of my well-beloved. But from what I had learned that night it seemed that, little as I had dreamed the truth, my friend Digby had been held in bondage by a woman whose tongue he feared. Ah, how very many men in London are the slaves of women whom they fear! All of us are human, and the woman with evil heart is, alas, only too ready to seize the opportunity of the frailty of the opposite sex and whatever may be the secret she learns, of business or a private life, she will most certainly turn it to her advantage. It was similar circumstances, I feared, in the case of dear old Digby. I was wondering, as I walked, whether I should reveal to my companion, whose name she had told me was Mrs. Petrie, the whole of the tragic circumstances. "'Is it long ago since you last saw Digby?' I asked her presently, as we strolled slowly together, and after I had given her my address, and we had laughed together over my affected disguise. 
nearly two months she replied i've been in egypt since the beginning of november at Assam. i was there two seasons ago i said how delightful it is in upper egypt and what a climate in winter why it is said that it has never rained there for thirty years i had a most awfully jolly time at the cataract it was full of smart people for only the suburbs the demimond and germans go to the riviera nowadays it's so terribly played out and the carnival gaiety is so childish and artificial it amuses the cookites i laughed and it puts money in the pockets of the hotel keepers of nice and the neighborhood monte is no longer chic she declared german women in blouses predominate and the really smart world has forsaken the rooms for cairo heliopolis and aswan they are too far off and too expensive for the bearer of cook's coupons i laughed she spoke with the nonchalant air of the smart woman of the world evidently much travelled and cosmopolitan but i again turned the conversation to our mutual friend and strove with all the diplomatic powers i possessed to induce her to reveal the name or give me a description of the woman whom she had alleged to be his enemy the woman who was under a delusion that he had wronged her lover to all my questions however she remained dumb that letter which i had placed in her hand had no doubt put a seal of silence upon her lips at one moment she assumed a haughtiness of demeanour which suited her manner and bearing at the next she became sympathetic and eager she was i gauged a woman of strangely complex character yet whom could she be i knew most perhaps even all of digby's friends i believe he often used to give cosy little tea-parties to which women many of them well known in society came towards them he always assumed quite a paternal attitude for he was nothing if not a lady's man she seemed very anxious to know in what circumstances he had handed me the note and what instructions he had given me to her questions i replied quite frankly indeed i repeated his words ah yes she cried he urged you not to misjudge me then you will not mr royle will you she asked with sudden earnestness i have no reason to misjudge you mrs petrie i said quietly why should i ah but you may indeed you most certainly will when i asked in some surprise when when you know the bitter truth the truth of what i gasped my thoughts reverting to the tragedy in harrington gardens though i had not referred to it i felt that she must be aware of what had occurred and of the real reason of digby's flight the truth which you must know ere long she answered hoarsely as we halted again beneath the leafless trees and when you learn it you will most certainly condemn me but believe me mr royle i am like your friend sir digby more sinned against than sinning you speak in enigmas i said because i cannot i dare not tell you what i know i dare not reveal the terrible and astounding secret entrusted to me you will know it all soon enough but there she added in a voice broken in despair what can matter now that digby has shown the white feather and fled he was not a coward mrs petrie i remarked very calmly no he was a brave and honest man until and she paused her low voice fading to a whisper that i did not catch until what i asked did something happen yes it did she replied in a hard dry tone something happened which changed his life then he is not the impostor the police believe i demanded certainly not was her prompt reply why he has thought fit to disappear fills me with anger 
and yet yet from this letter he has sent to me i can see now the reason he was no doubt compelled to fly poor fellow his enemy forced him to do so the woman eh yes the woman she admitted bitter hatred in her voice then after a pause i said if i can be of any service to you mrs petrie for we are both friends of digby's i trust you will not fail to command me and i handed her a card from my case which i had carried expressly you are very kind mr royal she replied perhaps i may be very glad of your services one day who knows i live at park mansions and may i call for the present no i let my flat out while i went abroad and it is still occupied for several weeks i shall not be there before the first week in march but i want to find digby i want to see him most urgently i said and so do i how can we trace him i asked ah i am afraid he is far too elusive if he wishes to hide himself we need not hope to find him until he allows us to she replied no all we can do is to remain patient and hopeful again a silence fell between us i felt instinctively that she wished to confide in me but dare not do so then i exclaimed suddenly will you not tell me mrs petrie the identity of this great enemy of our friend this woman upon information which you yourself may give digby's future entirely depends i added earnestly his future she echoed what do you mean i mean only that i am trying to clear his good name of the stigma now resting upon it the handsome woman bit her lip no she replied with a great effort i'm sorry deeply sorry but i am now in a most embarrassing position i have made a vow to him and that vow i cannot break without first obtaining his permission i am upon my honour i was silent what could i say this woman certainly knew something something which if revealed would place me in possession of the truth of what had actually occurred at harrington gardens on that fatal night if she spoke she might clear frida of all suspicion suddenly after a pause i made up my mind to try and clear up one point that serious crucial point which had for days so obsessed me mrs petrie i said i wonder if you will answer me a single question one which does not really affect the situation much indeed as we are i hope friends i ask it more out of curiosity than anything else well what is it she asked regarding me strangely i want to know whether being a friend of digby's you have ever met or ever heard of a certain young lady living in kensington named frida shand the effect of my words was almost electrical she sprung towards me with fire in her big dark eyes frida shand she cried wildly her white gloved hands again clenched frida shand you know that woman eh you know her mr royal is she a friend of yours or or is she your enemy your friend perhaps because she is pretty oh yes she laughed hysterically oh yes of course she is your friend if she is then curse her mr royal invoke all the curses of hell upon her as she so richly deserves and from her lips came a peal of laughter that was little short of demoniacal while i stood glaring at her in blank dismay what did she mean ay what indeed End of chapter ten recording by tom weiss tom's audiobooks dot com